tonight I want to invite you into something. Tonight I want to paint a picture of what could be for you. No matter where you are on your college journey, you could be just starting as a freshman or on the tail end here on your senior year. I want to paint a picture of what you could be a part of. I want to invite you into something bigger than yourself. And, and for a lot of you, you've already experienced this, but for me, I went to the University of Georgia and I got super plugged in uh, to a church up there. College for me um, was so formative in so many different ways, but specifically it was so formative in my faith. Um, college was when my my faith took on a brand new meaning. Um, college for me was when God captured my heart. Um, college for me um, was when I caught a fresh perspective of what it actually meant to walk with purpose and to find meaning in the everyday, to find meaning in the mundane, to find significance in whatever I was doing. Um, college was, was really the first time I figured out that, co- that life was way bigger than me. That life was way bigger than my agenda. Life was way bigger um, than my story. And college was the first time that I learned Samer was way too small of a thing to live for. And so with the few minutes that I have, I just want to invite you into something. Um, Our church, I love the living room. The vision and the heart is to be your home away from home, that this would be a place where you can belong, that this would be a place where you experience connection and intimacy and friendship and belonging, your home away from home. But if you would just back out of the living for a second, Woodstock City Church as a whole, the reason why Woodstock City Church as a whole exists, um, the way that we would say it, our mission here at Woodstock City is simply this, to inspire people to follow Jesus. But by mission, I mean like everything that we do across all of our ministries, like from preschool all the way up to college with our adults, everything that we do here at Woodstock City, every program, every event, every sermon, every message, every camp, every outreach thing that we do, like everything that we do, ultimately there is one goal. It's not about numbers. It's not about getting people to show up. It's not about creating a name for ourselves. There is one goal in mind, and it is to inspire people to follow Jesus. That our hope and Matt's hope and the TLR's team hope for you is that as you plug into this place and find it to be your home away from home, that you would be inspired to follow, that you would be inspired to take a step after Jesus, that you would be inspired to take a first step, that you would be inspired to take your next step, that you would be inspired not just to believe in something, but to follow the one that came to save you. We want to inspire people. That's the mission of our church, to inspire people to follow Jesus. Here's the problem. Um, I don't know if you've picked up on this or not, or in some of your friend circles, or honestly, man, you just scroll through you know, Instagram and, and, and this, that, and the other. Um, the church, the church, for the average person that doesn't have faith, is not something that is terribly appealing today. That for the average person, and, 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 and if we could just put you don't have to raise your hand, um, this might be you. In fact, for some of you, it might be a miracle that you're in church today. It might be a miracle you're like, Costco pizza, I'm gonna show up. But it's a miracle, right? And she's your miracle, so that's why you came. But for some of you, it is, a, it is, it is incredible that you're even here. 
Because for you, faith was something you were uninterested in. For you, church was something that burned you. And you're like, no, no, I'm not going back. I had a bad experience. No, no, I'm done. I'm out. I'm not interested. There's no way that can be real. So it's incredible. So this might be you. But for the average person that doesn't have faith, they're not very inspired by the idea of anything that the church can offer. In fact, the way that people view the church, those outside the faith, is actually at an all-time Low. And there are so many studies that kind of show this, but one in particular showed that there are only, and this is, this, you know, I'm a professional Christian, so this, this kind of just blows my mind, but, but maybe this will kind of paint a picture for you, that um, only 35% of Americans have any kind of confidence in organized religion. That means 65% of Americans do not have trust or any kind of confidence in organized religion. You might think, well, Sam, uh, organized religion is all sorts of religions. Yeah, 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 but you know what? Anybody that isn't a faith person would lump the church into organized religion. That the view of the church and the trust that people have in the church is at an all-time low. And come on, you know this. You know this. You've probably felt this tension when you've connected with some friends, or maybe you've even felt this tension, um, you know, in your, your spheres of influence or in class or in your sorority or in your fraternity or at work. Like, have you ever even been like a little bit nervous to tell somebody you're a Christian? And it's because you weren't sure what, what they would think. I'm telling you, like, I'm, look, I'm a, I, am, I am a pastor. I'm just being vulnerable, man. I, I, our water heater broke. Uh, no, six or seven months ago. And so I had to bring in a plumber to replace our water heater. It was awful, but he fixed it. And so we're just kind of talking and we're connecting. Cool dude, you know, we're just talking. And he's like, so what do you do? I was like, how's the water heater? And he's like, huh? I was like, huh? What'd you say? What was your name again? You know, like I, I didn't want to tell him. Not because I was ashamed of my faith, but there is just this thing where I'm like, man, the second he hears what I do, he's going to paint a picture of what he thinks that I am. I ended up telling him. He actually lives in the area. I invited him to church. <clears throat> I don't think he's ever come. But there was a piece of me that didn't want to tell him because I knew I knew because of the caricature of the church in kind of just the general society, there was going to be a picture that he had of me that wasn't true but he probably had an experience that made him believe it was true because here's what you know is that the church, unfortunately today, is known for all the wrong things. Judgmental, dishonest, exclusive, manipulative, legalistic, self-righteous, ignorant, and even hurtful. And the unfortunate irony of this is that when you flip through the Gospels of the New Testament, Jesus this was the complete opposite for him. In fact, in fact, you flip through the Gospels of the New Testament and those that were nothing like Jesus could not get enough of Jesus. Those that were outside of the faith, those that were the worst of the worst by the standards of all the religious people of the day, the sinners and the tax collectors, the ones that found themselves on the outside, the ones that were outcasted, they could not get enough of Jesus. When Jesus was here, you know, his reputation with those on the outside of the church could not have been better. And here's what's true for you, and here's what's true for me. Is that the heart of Jesus reflects who we should be and what we should be about in this world. Because the heart of Jesus was irresistible. And his movement was compelling, and his mission was clear. I have come to seek and to save 
the lost. And unfortunately, today, the movement of the church isn't nearly as compelling, not nearly as irresistible, and unfortunately, not nearly as clear. And this is where you and I come in, because you know this, a church, like a building cannot be judgmental, a building cannot be dishonest, a building cannot be self-righteous, a building cannot be manipulative, a building cannot be ignorant. But the people that make up the church can. And every single day, Every single day, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, every single day, people are making assumptions about who Jesus is and what the church is about based on the way that you and I live. This is why I don't have a church sticker on my car. I can't afford it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna yell the wrong thing through the window. They can't even hear me. I'm not kidding. This was a couple years ago, me and my wife were driving through Publix and we're shopping as a pleasure and we're... And there was a car, very selfish driver, was not interested in looking behind him or her, I don't know, it was probably him. And um, they're pulling out, they're not paying attention. I've got the right of way, bro. They ain't even started yet, you know what I mean? And so it's too late for me to stop, but he doesn't. So he pulls right out. I stop, I am, it's part of my culture, I have a road rage problem, but I, like, I, I hit the horn before I press the brake, like that's a problem, you know, right? And so, but so, he pulls out, and I'm about to slam on my horn. True story. And then I see he's got a Woodstock sticker on the back of his car. <laughs> right? <clears throat> so I didn't honk. I'm like, oh, he might know me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you're kind of weird seeing me on Sunday in the rotunda. Oh, hey. Oh, you were in the blue Corolla. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife, Julie, she looks over at me, and she's like, well, that was surprising. I was like, what? She's like, you didn't honk. I was like, yeah, I mean, did you see the Woodstock City sticker? Like, what if they saw me? Like, I'm a pastor, it could be kind of weird. And she says the most annoyingly convicting, profound thing, which, you know, fellas, you're gonna get married, that's what your wives will do. <clears throat> she looks at me and she says, you should care a lot more if he didn't already go to church. Her point being, hey, He's probably already fine. You should have been more worried if they didn't go to church. You should be more if you had no idea what they did or didn't believe about faith because everything that you do and the way that you choose to live your life is going to communicate something about the Savior that you follow. And in a world where the reputation of the church and in a world where the view of church and faith is so low, the opportunity for you and me has never been greater. Because here's what's also true, and you've probably experienced this, and, and if you're not a person of faith, you could probably attest to this. Most people don't have a problem with Jesus. They had a problem with a Jesus follower. And so here's my challenge, and here's what I wanna invite you into. The mission of our church is to inspire people to follow Jesus. Here's my challenge. 
that if you call this church home, if this is where you plug in, if this is kind of what, what, what is helping you grow your faith, like this is, you know, this is your thing on Wednesdays, and this is your church, um, this is mission statement. This is going to be true of our church. Like this is just what we do week in and week out. However, we are never going to be able to capture the full potential that God has for our church if the people that make up this church also don't take this personally. So my challenge to you and what I wanna unpack for just a few minutes tonight is yes, this is true of Woodstock City, but what could happen if that mission statement happened through you? Like what if your life, what if your time in college, what if your time in, your, in the beginning of your professional career, what if in your gap year, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, that your life inspired people to follow Jesus? And a question that I wanna ask you and a question that is worth writing down to think about is this, are the lives we are living, are the lives you're living, is the life you live and is the life I live inspiring others to follow Jesus? Is the life that I live inspiring others to follow Jesus? Because the world should look at the way that we love, the world should look at the way that we serve, the world should look at the way that we forgive, the world should look at the way we prioritize our lives, the world should look at the compassion we extend, the world should look at the patience we have, at the integrity we model, at the hope and the joy that we live with, and be compelled and inspired to at least be curious, where does that come from? Was name is Jesus, that your life and mine as a follower of Jesus should look radically different. But here's what we can't miss. And this, I'm, 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 just, I'm preaching to myself too, okay? We can't make a difference in the world if we look just like it. And so every day there's an opportunity for us to model the Savior that flipped the world upside down in the best possible way. And the difference in you and the difference in me is not just difference for difference sake. It's not because we're better than. It's not to look over and be self-righteous at. No, no, no. The difference in you is meant to make a difference in others. It's just true. The difference in you and the difference in me is meant to make a difference in others. Others, that the difference in you and the difference in me, God could use to help inspire people to follow Jesus. And Jesus himself spoke about this. Throughout the entire New Testament, he talks about our role, for those of you that are Jesus followers, our role in God's story as he seeks to redeem humanity. The question is whether or not we're gonna take him up on the invitation. And, and you, you've heard, if, if you grew up in church, you, you've probably heard these collection of, of scriptures. I want to unpack them for you for just a, a few minutes. Matthew chapter 5, okay? We're going to spend just a few minutes. Jesus' longest recorded sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says this. He's looking at the followers and he says, hey, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Um, salt, back in the first century, was extremely, extremely valuable. And so he's looking at his followers and says, hey, listen, um, metaphorically, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? There are three things that I think kind of communicate and bring clarity to what it means to be the salt of the earth and why that matters. One, right, write this down. And you, you know this, right? This just, salt just makes everything better. 
You know what I mean? Just does. If it doesn't taste good, it's crazy. A little bit of salt, like, oh my gosh, you know? You cook something, ah, uh, a little bit of salt. Don't make the mistake of putting some, like, salt in something. If you have a significant other that cooks something for you, try it first. Uh, but salt just makes everything better. Salt makes things taste better. That's what salt does. I don't know how, but it just does. And, you know, you, salt and vinegar, you either love it or you hate it. I love it. It just makes, makes everything taste better. Everything should be better whenever Christians are a part of it. I'm just telling you. Like, your workplace or the Chick-fil-A that you work at, it should be better. And you're all like, oh, nope, not at lunchtime in the drive-thru, right? But... Like the chilies that you work at, bless your heart, it should be better. I love chilies, by the way. Let me get that triple dipper plate. Do they still have that? I don't know, but I love it. Honey chicken crispers. Moving on. The, like your fraternity and your sorority should be better because you're there. Like your, your apartment should be better because you live there. The places that you walk into, the environments that you are a part of, they should be better because we are there. If the world doesn't look better because Christians are in it, then we are missing it because of who we represent and the way that we should live. I had this thought, I had this thought, it's convicting for me that like literally if I just kind of went up and vanished one day or like if our church just kind of vanished one day, would we be missed? Like would the community miss this church? I know there are some people, I hope, like just a few that would miss me but by and large, like, would I, be, would I be missed? Would our church be missed? Are we living in a way that makes the world a better place? Salt makes everything better. The second thing that salt does, salt makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. You ever been thirsty? You need water and you didn't have it? You remember in fifth grade after recess, your teacher would count to three and then you had to be done with the water fountain. You remember this? He's like, I need a 10 count, bro. I just played real hard football. I had 500 yards and three touchdowns. You know what I mean? <laughs> salt makes you thirsty for what you don't have. Watch this. We as salt of the earth should be living in a way that makes people thirst for what we have. More specifically, who we follow. That the way you and I live out our faith should be so compelling. It makes people think... I, I don't know what it is about them, but I, I want what they have. Like the way that we should live should make people go, hang on, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you did what? For who? Hang on. What? You, wait, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You, you, you chose to forgive what? Like you chose to forget who for they did what? Like, I'm sorry, what in the world led you to forgive them? Hang on, all that you're walking through, how do you still have hope? All that you're walking through, how do you still have joy? That the way that we live should make people think, hey, I don't know what it is about them, but I want to know a little bit more about that. And then third, and this is what made salt so valuable in the first century, salt is a preservative. They didn't have electricity, obviously, back in the time of Jesus. They didn't have refrigerators. And so salt helped keep things from going bad. You could rub salt into like meat and it would help keep the meat good longer because they had no way to keep it cool. Salt is a preservative. And as Christians, watch this, I find this idea so compelling and so rich. As followers of Jesus, as the salt of the earth, 
you and I are in a position to preserve the good in a world full of bad. Like, in the midst of turmoil, we are the ones showing peace. In the midst of divisiveness, we are the ones showing unity. In the midst of difficulty, we are the ones pointing to hope. In the midst of hate, we sow love. In the midst of injustice, we stand up for those that don't have a voice. In the midst of a world that says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get ahead, we model integrity, preserving the good in the name of Jesus. Salt of the earth. Then Jesus says, but if, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. If salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? Nothing. If salt loses its saltiness, to what benefit is it? There is none. If salt loses its saltiness, it no longer is fulfilling its purpose. Jesus goes on and he extends the metaphor. So you're the salt of the earth. Then he says, you are also the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. No, no, instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. He makes a couple obvious statements. A city on a hill, you can't hide a city on a hill. You can see it from miles away. When you light a lamp, you don't put it under a bowl. No, no, that would be silly. You don't light it to put it under a bowl. You light it to give light to the house. His point, the purpose of light is to illuminate in the darkness. He says, you and me, as his followers, by definition, we are the light of the world. So we shouldn't live in a way that keeps us from illuminating that light, which is why he goes on to say, so in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Don't miss this. He says, let your light shine. That you just think about a lamp. Think about one of these lights, a light bulb. It is a source of light, whether it is on or not. It has the potential to shine. But until it is turned on, until it is actually shining, it is not fulfilling its maximum purpose. That you and I, by definition, as followers of Jesus, don't miss this, you are the light of the world. But that doesn't mean that our light is shining. So Jesus says, you're the light of the world. All the potential in the world is there. The model that Jesus gave you is right there in front of us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you to show us the way. All the potential is there. But he says, but you have to let your light shine. <clears throat> Put into practice what you believe, that our faith is not passive, it is active. It's not just about believing something. It's about, this is how I live my life. This is who I have chosen to follow. Salt that's not salty, useless. Light that's not shining, useless. And so Jesus looks at his followers and he would tell you and me the same thing. So go be salt. Go be light because it's bigger than us. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to close with three things. 
three things on what it looks like to stay salty and shine bright. What are three things that you and I can focus on? What are three things we can emphasize? What are three things we can do to stay salty and shine bright? I want you to write these three things down. The first is this. How do we stay salty and shine bright? Okay, Because the worst thing that we can do, the worst thing that we can do is lose our saltiness and, and smother our light. So how can we stay salty and shine bright? First one is this. To choose to contribute rather than just consume. Choose to contribute to the kingdom of God rather than just consume church. Choose to contribute to what God is doing rather than just consume church. We're so good at consuming. The world that we live in is built around us consuming from, from the media we can consume. I could order something on Amazon Prime. It'll probably be in my house before I get home tonight. We're so good at consuming. Here's the problem that, that Jesus followers so, so quickly fall into. And, and, and I would argue for whatever reason, and I felt this too in college, we can fall in this as well. Um, we're so good at just consuming church. We're so good at consuming songs. We're so good at consuming podcasts and sermons and showing up to church. And I hope you consume all those things. You should consume all those things. However, we start to equate spiritual maturity with consumption. But it actually falls short. Because consumption is me focused. Consumption is all about what can I get. But spiritual maturity is when we turn the corner to say, okay, what can I get so they can figure out how I can give? Consumption is all about us, but contributing to the kingdom is figuring out how all that you are consuming can be turned around and used in a way to show Jesus, reflect Jesus, inspire people to follow Jesus. Consumption is about me, but contributing is not about what I can get, but about what I can give. It's when we don't ask the question, what's in it for me? It's when we stop and ask the question, how can I give? How can I serve? How can I use the way that God has wired me in this unique season to be a part of the story that he is writing? How can I be helpful? How can I use my resources? How can I use my time for something bigger than me. Potentially the most impactful thing that I did in college was I led a group of middle school guys. And they at times were some of the most annoying little creatures I ever, like, but man, they were incredible. I loved them so much. And the energy and the vibrancy with which they saw the world bouncing off the walls. And for three years, I got to walk alongside them and help them see Jesus. And it's one of the most impactful things I have ever done with my life. Was investing in the local church. Investing time into the next generation. I was a wedding three months ago and one of them, Landon, I saw him. I couldn't believe it. He's a lawyer. I was like, oh my gosh, I did good. Um, I'm kidding. I was like, hey man, if I ever get in legal trouble, um, remember your smog leader. But it was amazing to see him and to see his faith be real. And there's so many bigger things apart from, uh, but I know that I got to play a small part of that investment. Can I just be real with y'all for a second? Okay. Um, you know what I would love more than anything? for our church on Sundays to be crawling with college students, to be crawling with you. 
but not to show up to the service. I'll be honest with you. I could really care less if you show up to the service to hear a sermon to me, hear me or Andy, our senior pastor. I could really care less about that. This is great for you here. This is a great service to attend. I want our Sunday morning and Sundays crawling with college students because I want you in services where you are serving. I want this place crawling with college students, not because I want you in here consuming a message, because I want you in transit with our middle schoolers, investing into their faith, with our preschoolers, with Upstreet, our elementary age students, with our guest services, welcoming people into this place, with our inside out high school ministry. I want this place crawling with you because I wanna see you guys investing into something bigger than yourself. I want you to contribute, not just consume. Give your consumption a purpose. Give your consumption a gospel-centered purpose by figuring out how you can take that consumption and start to learn what it means then to contribute out of it. How do you shine bright and stay salty? Contribute, not just consume. The second thing, choose to face outward rather than inward. Come on, you get this. We can get so comfortable with our church friends it's just easier, right? I'm just gonna show up to the living room. I'm just gonna do my thing just with my church friends. And then we kind of segment our lives out. Like you might segment your, your, your friend group out and it's like, okay, I've just got my church friends. It's comfortable. I don't have to like risk offending anybody. I don't have to be weird and, and talk about my faith. Um, but can I just tell you, we cannot fully follow Jesus if we become so inwardly focused because do you remember his mission? I've come to seek and to save the lost we cannot lose sight of those that don't know Jesus yet. We cannot lose sight of those that are hurting. We cannot lose sight of those that are unchurched. We cannot lose sight of those that are skeptical. We can't lose sight of those that are lost unto God that need to know there is a God that loves them. And Jesus put on a masterclass for us in the gospels of what it looks like to see to engage, to pay attention to, and to build relationships with those that are far from God. That in every single one of your spheres of influence, there is somebody that needs you, watch this, to see them. In fact, if we went around the room tonight, you could tell me somebody that saw you and it changed your life. Do you wanna be salt and do you wanna be light? You have to be able to see people. In fact, salt and light, they are outward facing things. You're not salt and light for yourself. We are salt and light for the world. Translation, for others, for people for whom Jesus died. So face outward. What does it look like to love? What does it look like to invest in someone's life? What does it look like to go out of your way to invest in a relationship with somebody that you know is far from God? What does it look like for you to invite somebody to show up with you on church? What does it look like for you to share your faith? What does it look like to slow down long enough to see people that need Jesus? And then the third, last, and we're going to sing one more song. Choose conviction over your convenience. Choose conviction over your convenience. There's going to be moments as you follow Jesus in college and you've already bumped up into this 
when what is convenient for you and what you want to do bumps up against your conviction that says, ah, but I think I should do something different and you get to decide which one you're gonna listen to. What is convenient and comfortable or how the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart. But one of the best ways we can stay salty and shine bright is when we choose conviction because can I just give you a couple examples? It is far more convenient to not forgive them. It is way more comfortable to settle into the leather couch of bitterness and just hang tight. It's way more convenient to not forgive. But then there's this conviction that says, ah, but my heavenly father through Christ forgave me. And you have this conviction that you can't shake that says, but I should extend forgiveness to them. And watch this. When you forgive, salt and light. That there's going to be moments when you just don't have the patience for somebody. You don't have the patience for your friend. You don't have the patience for your roommate, the patience for somebody that you're dating, the patience for that person on the group projects that is slowing everything down, right? The pa- you don't have the patience for somebody. But then there's this conviction. It's like, ah, okay, okay. But you gotta be kind. And how often has your heavenly father been patient with you and in that moment of kindness and in that moment of patience, salt and light. That in that moment when you are compelled to do something that gets you out of your comfort zone, but it's a lot more convenient to stay where it's comfortable. But in that moment where you step out, in that moment where you say, you know what, I am gonna go serve. I don't know much about the Bible, but I'm gonna go do the best I can to love on middle schoolers because they need me. I, 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 don't, I don't really know how this is gonna go, but I think I'm gonna go on that mission trip. I've never even been on an airplane, but I'm gonna get out of my comfort zone. Even though it is uncomfortable, I'm gonna choose conviction. I can't, I can't shake it. Okay, I know it might be a little bit awkward, but I just feel like I need to look for an opportunity to share my faith with my friend that I've been walking with for far too long, and I know they don't believe in Jesus. It's uncomfortable, but there's this conviction you can't shake. And in those moments where you get out of your comfort zone, is maybe your greatest opportunity to be salt and light. That in those moments where convenience and comfort wanna hold you back from what God has for you, that moment of conviction is a chance for you to step in and step out and lean in and be salt and light. So how can we stay salty in a good way? by the way, and shine bright. Look for ways to contribute to the kingdom and not just consume church. Look for ways to face outward. See people as Jesus saw people and don't just face inward. And then follow your conviction rather than staying comfortable. And I'm just telling you, As you do, your life is gonna start to inspire people to follow Jesus. So here's my invitation that requires no RSVP. What if you started living your life in a way that compelled people, that inspired people to follow 
Jesus. This is how you live your life in your college years to be a part of something bigger than yourself. This is how you can leave college with what I believe to be a story worth telling. These are the moments where you get to catch a glimpse of what God is doing in the world. This is where you're going to start to see that purpose is way bigger than just anything that you do or what your job is or what your future income is or where you settle down or what your wedding looks like or that that the reason you are here is way bigger than just you. And here's your opportunity. And I'm just telling you, as you shine bright and as you live as salt, I'm just telling you, people are gonna start to notice. People are gonna see the good deeds. And they're not gonna think much about you as much as they're gonna think about the one that you represent. That they're gonna see that living room t-shirt and be like, yeah, that church up there by the Costco. I thought it was, I thought it was the outlet mall. <laughs> but it's just the church. There's, there's something different about those people. There's something different about that one person. They said they go to the living room. With the, with the, there's something different about them. Yeah. Because they saw Jesus in and through you. And in those moments, walls start to break down. And there's opportunity for Jesus to capture the hearts of people. So, the invitation is there. The choice is yours. And as one of the pastors at this church who cares so deeply about who you are, I wanna invite you into a story bigger than yourself. And I'm just telling you, you won't regret saying no. You won't regret saying yes and being available to how Jesus wants to use you to reflect him, to show him, and to inspire people to follow. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for Jesus. And we're so grateful that he came for us. He came to save us. And so, Father, I just pray that out of his sacrifice, out of the life that he lived, that he so beautifully modeled for us, would you give us the courage and the conviction to do something with what we just heard tonight? Would you give us the courage and the conviction to lean into being light? and to lean into being salt. And we ask that you would use it in a way that maximizes your name and glorifies your name. We pray, Lord, that the lives that we lead would reflect you properly and inspire and compel people to wanna follow your son. We love you. Pray tonight we'd have the courage to make ourselves available to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.